one Minnesota. This campaign has always been about what we're fighting for in this country. Thank you for your vote, and I humbly accept this responsibility. I am honored that the people of the fifth are sending me to Washington. We've got hard work to do, and it begins tomorrow. I love you, everybody, and thank you! Thank you! A night of historic wins in Minnesota in the midterm elections will lead to a very different political landscape over the next two years on both the state and national levels. Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. More Minnesotans than ever before turned out this week to vote in a midterm election. And those voters sent some pretty clear signals about the direction they want to see for the state and the country. When we come together and lift each other up, there's nothing this state can't achieve. Voters chose Tim Walls to lead the state for the next four years. He beat Republican Jeff Johnson Tuesday, keeping the DFL in control of the governor's office for a third term in a row. His lieutenant governor, Peggy Flanagan, made history by becoming the first Native American woman to hold a statewide office in Minnesota. And we are joined today by the incoming governor, Tim Walls, and Lieutenant Governor-elect Peggy Flanagan, thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. How exciting for the, for the two of you. And I've got to ask, did it finally hit home that you had won the state's highest office and second highest office when you walked into the Capitol on Thursday? I think for me, that's when it really started to, uh, to hit home. It's an incredible uh, honor and responsibility. But walking up to the steps of that uh, beautiful people's house and, and realizing uh, the responsibility, that, that was the moment for me and very special. And Lieutenant Governor-elect, you had talked about how important it was that the doors to the state capitol are now open uh, to Native American women, to, to people of all backgrounds, uh, very diverse backgrounds. Absolutely. So we've said that throughout the campaign, that my job is to hold the door wide open for people who may feel marginalized and like they don't have a seat at the table. And yesterday, um, we, we finally, finally opened that door, and I'm really excited and take that responsibility very seriously. And, Governor-elect, you had some nice things to say about your Republican opponent, Jeff Johnson. It was a remarkably civil campaign from start to finish. I know I moderated the first debate between the two of you up at Grandview Lodge way back in August. Seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, it was civil, pointed exchanges about yes. issues, but it never got personal. It never got below the belt. There were some negative ads from outside groups that you had no control over. But what do you want to say about your Republican opponent and the tone of the campaign? Well, it speaks volumes about Jeff Johnson's character and, and his running mate, Donna Bergstrom, that, that Jeff is passionate about this state. Uh, he, is, he is honest about what he believes. And, and we had, I think, what people want to see in politics, real spirited policy debate without ever diving into uh, personal attacks or ever questioning anyone's motive about why they were doing it. Just a different way of seeing the world, different way of interpreting facts. So I think, uh, I think Jeff did a real service to the state, certainly by uh, setting a tone what's expected of us in this campaign. I think it lifted both of us up, and that's what the state was looking for. Mm -hmm. And I imagine you see it the same way in Donna Bergstrom. One of you was going to be the first Native American woman to hold statewide office in Minnesota, mm -hmm. and I know uh, I had the two of you on uh, at issue here a few weeks ago, and also a very civil campaign between the two of you. Absolutely. She was uh, you know, a formidable opponent, and I think we both felt a great 
responsibility and hopefulness that no matter what happened, uh, the first uh, Native American woman would be elected lieutenant governor in the state and actually in, in the country. Um, so I can hope to continue to, you know, to honor the, you know, the, the commitment uh, that she made to Native people also and carry that forward in this office. Let's get into the political reality now. You're going to be facing a divided state legislature. Oddly enough, it's the only divided yeah. state legislature anywhere in the country. Uh, first time that's happened, I think, since 1913 or some uh, over 100 years ago. How are you going to deal with that? A House controlled by Democrats, Senate controlled by Republicans, and that one-seat Republican majority could stand in the way of some of your priorities, like a gas tax increase, uh, health care reform. How are you going to deal with that? Well, first of all, I think it's important to understand that the message that was sent by uh, Tuesday's election, that uh, Lieutenant Governor-elect Flanagan and myself received over 300,000 more votes than anybody who's ever run for governor. Uh, the state house flipped. But what I have contended all along, that I have never said anything negative about leadership in the Republican House or Senate, because Minnesotans want to see us work together. So I think the opportunity it is unique that we're the only split, uh, divided government, but I think there's opportunities inside of that. I think there's opportunities to forge that one Minnesota we're talking about, making sure that the, the voters who sent uh, Senator Gazelka and his people to the Capitol are respected and heard in the same way that we are respected and heard by the voters that came out Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. And Lieutenant Governor-elect, you serve in the legislature now, and is that going to be helpful as the two of you try to navigate uh, the relationship with the legislature, whether it be Democrats or Republicans? Absolutely. And, you know, we were able to visit uh, yesterday with the, the House DFL caucus. Um, it was like coming home uh, for me. But I think um, one of the, the things that I, uh, I, I respect about uh, Governor-elect Walls is his ability to build relationships. And I think that's going to serve us very well as we come into this session with divided government, but also knowing we've been, both have been intentional in our work uh, in, in Congress and in in the House to work on both sides of the aisle, and, and I think you'll see that moving forward. Now, in addition to relationships, it might also take a little arm twisting if you, in fact, do propose a gas tax increase, which I think you said the other day you would, but to get Republicans in the Senate to go along with that is going to take maybe a little bit more than relationships. How, how do you plan to pursue that? Well, it'll take their constituents who overwhelmingly know that Minnesota can do better on infrastructure, and it will take the business community who will align with me as well as those folks who built the roads, that I think this issue of having a debate on what we need, and I think it's important at this point in time to, to develop the relationships, to leave a lot of doors open. Uh, I certainly respect the differences that, that come, but I, I made it very clear during this campaign that Minnesota's infrastructure was one of the key components we were going to work on. We were going to make sure that happened, and that's in addition to transit. This is a much more complex issue than just a gas tax. It's about where are we going in the future, what happens with electric vehicles, what happens with communities that are aging or rural transit. So I think on this issue, that can't be the stopping point for us. That is the starting point, and, and my always has been the reputation. I'm open to listening. But as you know, those votes in the legislature are very difficult because every member knows if they vote in favor of gas tax, it's going to be on a brochure two years later in a campaign like we just had. How do you get people uh, to go along with that, given the political reality? And, you know, we have a poll, our most recent poll showed 49% of Minnesotans oppose a gas tax increase. I also think, you know, we've been really clear, and Governor-elect Walls, you know, has talked about the need to invest in infrastructure. Uh, you know, we may, you know, people may be, be nervous about it, but I also think it's, it's pretty great to come home to your constituents and say that we invested in infrastructure in the state. We currently have a, a C- minus for infrastructure. Uh, as a teacher, I know that's you know, not working for you. And so, uh, you know, we certainly want to make sure
sure that you know people know um, the the value of their investment, and and that's our job to to talk to folks across the state, but also to the to people in the legislature. A couple other issues, real quickly, and never enough time to get in depth on this, but on health care. You're going to probably have to talk about reinsurance again to keep yeah. rates down and Minnesota care buy-in. Are those a couple of things on health care you're going to start with? Yeah, I think so. But I, I want us to back back up a little bit and have this, this conversation to kind of restart this of what we're looking for. I believe Democrats and Republicans, their constituents want affordable, accessible health care, making sure that we're, uh, we have a system that is sustainable in the long run. We cannot continue to do reinsurance as a Band-Aid because the problem is more systemic than that. And Minnesota Care has served us well. It serves hundreds of thousands of constituents. And I think uh, going into that discussion with an open mind, but we are going to set the goal of getting all of the people in Minnesota affordable, accessible health care. And final thing, just about 20 seconds left, tax conformity. Is it too late to help people with their 2018 taxes because our tax system does not conform with the federal tax law? Well, it could be, um, but that doesn't mean we're not going to make the effort at this. Certainly now we're there's only one governor at a time. We're in our transition phase, but I think those are things that we're trying to set up, build these relationships so that we can tackle some of these things in a real expedient manner. All right. Well, congratulations to the two of you. Governor-elect Tim Walls, Lieutenant Governor-elect Peggy Flanagan, again, congratulations. Look forward to working with you both at the state capitol starting in January. So thanks, thanks again so. for being here. Both parties have elected new leaders to represent them in the state House and Senate next year. DFL Representative Melissa Hortman of Brooklyn Park will serve as House Speaker. And Representative-elect Ryan Winkler of Golden Valley will be the new House Majority Leader. Over in the Senate, Republicans re-elected Senator Paul Gazelka of Nisswa as Majority Leader. And Senator Jeremy Miller of Winona will be the new Senate President. DFL candidates swept the other state executive offices as well. Steve Simon returns for a second term as Secretary of State. Julie Blaha won the state auditor's office. And Keith Ellison secured a victory in the hotly contested attorney general's race. You guys helped lift the working class into the middle class, and together we are going to bring that middle class to great heights. On Thursday, Ellison resigned his post as deputy chair of the Democratic National Committee. He says he wants to focus all of his attention on helping working and middle-class Minnesotans. Minnesota's congressional delegation will have a lot of new faces next year. Of the eight lawmakers elected Tuesday, five of them will be new to Washington. Democrats Angie Craig and Dean Phillips flipped once red suburban districts to blue. Craig beat out... Jason Lewis in the 2nd District in a rematch from two years ago. And Phillips decisively defeated five-term incumbent Eric Paulson to take over the 3rd Congressional District. It's a different story outside the metro area where Republicans Jim Hagedorn and Pete Stauber flipped previously blue districts. Hagedorn will represent the 1st District, beating Dan Fian by a razor-thin margin. Stauber secured a victory in the 8th District against Joe Radinovich. And in the 5th District, Ilan Omar's victory made national history. She is the first Somali-American, the first refugee, and one of the first two Muslim women elected to Congress. Omar says her victory and others by women and candidates of color sends a strong message to President Trump. I think the message really was that we do not like to be pushed around. Um, and, and Americans want it to say that we decide what kind of country we are and how we want to operate. Omar will take over the seat previously held by Keith Ellison. 
Minnesota also returned its two incumbent U.S. senators to office. Amy Klobuchar and Tina Smith easily won on Tuesday. Smith will be up for re-election again in 2020 as she finishes the final two years of the term previously held by Al Franken. Minnesota is one of just four states with two women serving as U.S. senators. And up next, we'll be joined by Democratic Congressman-elect Dean Phillips from Minnesota's 3rd District, the first Democrat in nearly 60 years to win that seat, what his top priorities will be when he heads to Washington. You know, I've been saying for a long time, change is coming. Well, change has come, and it's because of all of you. One of the biggest changes in Minnesota politics will come in the 3rd Congressional District. Dean Phillips will be the first Democrat to represent that district in nearly 60 years. Phillips, a first-time candidate, beat five-time Republican incumbent Eric Paulson on Tuesday. And we have the congressman-elect in studio with us today to talk a little bit about his historic victory. Has it sunk in yet that Barely. you've actually won? And you had to show a clip of me dancing. <laughs> <laughs> and we will hold that over your head Please, for, I'm sure you for, will. for years to come. I'm now, so it really is amazing, uh, the historic nature of this video, given how long that seat has been in control of Republicans. In fact, let's take a look at some video of the last candidate, the last Democrat that held it. You have much better hair, by the way, than Roy, Roy Weir sure. did back in the <laughs> 50s and early 60s. He left office in 1961. Did that occur to you when you set out on this, that it had been nearly 60 years? That's before I was born, that the last time a Democrat held this office. And before I was born, mind you. <laughs> uh, of course it did. And many said it was impossible uh, to, to go for a seat that hadn't been won since 1958. Uh, and go against an incumbent who had won by 14 points almost in the last election. Uh, but I've never been attracted to things that were easy. I knew this would be hard, and I thought there was a better way to do it. Uh, I think we demonstrated that. Uh, uh, going with hopefulness and optimism, uh, being a good listener, is what people want. And it transcends party politics. And I'm disappointed, as you know, Tom, in the tenor and tone of our political discourse, uh, leadership in both parties. And I wanted to demonstrate that there's a more fun, inclusive, and optimistic way of campaigning. And what was the difference in the 3rd District between two years ago and this year? Because two years ago, his opponent tried to paint him as a, a partner of President Trump. Uh, Trump had not been elected yet, but he certainly was a candidate, and everybody knew uh, about uh, Donald Trump. Yet it didn't really stick. He still won, as you mentioned, by 14 points. What happened this year that turned the tide? Was it two years of the presidency? I, I think that has something to do with it. Uh, there were thousands of Republicans that joined our campaign uh, supporting this effort, and many of them indicated to me that uh, there's a constitutional need to have a check and balance on the executive branch, uh, perhaps now more than ever. Uh, and I think that was on a lot of people's minds. I think uh, there was some disappointment uh, relative to the accessibility uh, of Eric Paulson, uh, his voting record along with the uh, Trump agenda. Uh, and I did a lot of listening. And, and I, there was, also, there was an, also a new wave of participants. Uh, forget whether this was a blue wave or not. There was a wave of new participants. I believe the 3rd District had one of the highest turnout rates in the entire country. Uh, so what changed is people got energized and, and they became active uh, and not passive anymore. And I think that's a, a, a very important uh, truth that we should acknowledge. Now, in some ways, your victory was, was fueled by an anti-Trump fervor, especially among suburban women who uh, poll after poll showed, not just in the 3rd District, but across the country, uh, have been turned off by President Trump. Mm -hmm. How do you build on that uh, and, and keep this office for more than two years? Because as you know, the history is it's a Republican district. Sure. How do you get it to lean more your way? 
Well, I'm going to continue doing what we did, which is listening. Uh, the last year and a half was one of the most joyful experiences of my life because I got to visit parts of the district that uh, many candidates in the past never did, hear from communities that have been uh, underrepresented in the past, and I'm going to continue to do the listening. And, and that means strong constituent services. Uh, that means focusing on what I promised. Uh, and the promise was that I couldn't accomplish a lot immediately, but that I would be the loudest voice for campaign finance reform, ethics reform, and voter engagement enhancement. And that's why I was so thrilled in the 3rd District, to, because we can build on some of the highest turnout uh, this nation has ever seen, especially in a midterm election. And I want to keep this extraordinary core of volunteers, over 2,000 people, uh, Democrats and Republicans, I want them engaged, and uh, not just during campaign season, uh, perpetually. You tried to get Congressman Paulson to sign a, a pledge not to accept PAC money and outside money during the campaign. Sure. Uh, he refused to do that, obviously, and he was one of the largest recipients of PAC money. But there's a lot of Democrats who take PAC money as well. Absolutely. Are you going to stand by your pledge to never take any PAC money while you're in Congress. Absolutely. It's a core principle I will not violate. Uh, it means it's harder for me. It means the slope is steeper, and so be it. Uh, this is an institutional issue. It, it transcends both parties. It's Democrats and Republicans. Someone has got to be the primary advocate for change, and I intend to do so, and, and not just because I believe it's corrupting, which it is. Uh, it, it provides it's such significant barriers to entry to potential public servants, especially young people who look at running for office now as increasingly out of reach. I want to change that dynamic so it's more inviting and more accessible to more people. In our final minute, let's buzz through a couple things. On health care, what are you going to pursue in, in Congress? Medicare for all, single payer, kind of a move in that direction? You know, a handful. I, we have to improve the ACA. It's imperfect, and I acknowledge that, and I think we can improve it. Uh, I would like to see Medicare as a public buy-in option. I do think that actually complements Republican desire for competition, for the freedom to choose what's best for you, another alternative, uh, with Democratic principles of expanding uh, care for everybody to ensure that everybody has access to care. So that's one. I also want to focus a lot on negotiating prescription drugs through Medicare. And last but not least, uh, there are too few voices in Congress right now that are advocating for a change to how we deliver care in this country. We've got to start rewarding, go away from rewarding procedures and hospitalizations and start rewarding prevention. Do you plan to vote for Nancy Pelosi as House Speaker? Some of your newly elected Democratic colleagues have said, no, they want to go a different direction. Mm -hmm. I've said from the get-go, I think it's time for new leadership in both parties. That includes the Democratic Party. I've made that very clear. I've heard from a lot of constituents already uh, about their appetite for change, uh, and I share it. Uh, I want to seek that new leadership. Uh, I will be going to Washington next week for my first week of orientation. Uh, I will identify who might be competing against uh, Nancy Pelosi for that role. Ultimately, I want to see a speaker who represents the entire House, and I absolutely want to see a new generation of leadership, but I'm going to cross that bridge when I come to Sounds it. Sounds like you're leaning against her, though. Well, I've made it clear. I want to see new leadership, but I also need to assess what alternatives are available, and I'll make my decision based on what I think is in the best interest of both our district, the country, and the next generation of leaders. And finally, should the House pursue impeachment against President Trump or focus on issues that are of more pressing nature? The House should focus on issues of uh, the most pressing nature, absolutely. Uh, we need to ensure that the Mueller investigation continues and concludes uh, and be protected. And then, and if and only if, evidence is presented that shows that crimes were committed, uh, should we take any action. Uh, we have a lot of work to do in this country, a lot of work to do in Congress, and I hope to be part of a new generation that inspires collaboration and focusing on what people sent us to do. All right. Well, congratulations again to you. You've got a lot Thank of work you, ahead of you in Congress, and I look forward to working with you over the next couple of so years. So grateful for the opportunity. Congressman-elected Dean Phillips, thanks Thank for you. being here. Up next, Brian McClung and Catherine Tanucci will be here for political analysis. We'll be back in two minutes. 
And welcome back. Time now for political analysis. Joining me today, Catherine Tanucci and Brian McClung. Both of you have served uh, governors, a Democratic governor and a Republican governor. We just had the new Democratic governor. Uh, just in 30 seconds, what is it they have ahead of them? How monumental <laughs> is the transition? It's task? monumental. Fortunately, they don't have to go through a recount and they get to work on, on their transition right away. But to put together a budget by February is it's an extraordinary challenge. You agree? The, yes, there's a lot to do in a very short amount of time and a lot of people calling and emailing <laughs> and wanting to provide input and interested in jobs and right there's a lot that they have to sort through so we wish them the best of luck we know it's tough when you get in there when you first are you know take those roles um, but they'll you know have some good help and there'll be a lot uh, a lot to do in these initial couple of weeks especially absolutely let's talk about the congressional races to me that was really the most interesting development on election night because th these races you had two seats that flip from Democrat to Republican and vice versa. Let's take a look at the map of what it looks like now. You can see uh, a lot of greater Minnesota is red, except for that big section of blue where Colin Peterson represents, but that's a, a, a district that Trump won by 31 points two years ago. And so, and Colin Peterson barely hung on. He won by four points, even though his opponent barely spent any money. What's going on with these congressional seats? This is a real shift. We're seeing a real shift in, in the state. And I... I was shocked on, on election night. Not entirely surprised that Pete Stauber won in the eighth. That was expected. At the same time, to, to it used to be such a DFL stronghold. And to see the governor not win in the eighth, that was very unusual because it was such a target for Democrats in the past. Quickly, it is quite a realignment. Yeah, we're really seeing that exacerbation of the metro versus greater Minnesota trend and more and more Republican voters and votes in the greater Minnesota. And like Catherine was saying, in the, on the Iron Range, where it had been a religion to be a Democrat, I think that Pete Stauber now is in a position to get reelected there and make that a Republican district long term. And finally, speaking of Pete Stauber, President Trump put Minnesota's congressional races in the spotlight. Let's Listen to what he had to say this week. Pete Stauber of Minnesota, great guy, he's new, and ran a fantastic race. Eric Paulson didn't want the embrace. <laughs> Eric Paulson did not want the embrace. If Eric Paulson had had Donald Trump campaigning for him, what might have happened? I expect he would have lost by even more than he did. I don't think that would have been a benefit to him. You agree? Well, Hillary Clinton had won the district by 12 points, and Eric Paulson won two years ago. And so he, Paulson really was trying to differentiate himself. I mean, his first TV ad, he was showing his differences with Donald Trump. I think he had to do that, and he had to thread the needle there. I don't think that you know, the embrace would have been a, a supportive or helpful thing. Well, we've got another election year coming up right around the corner. They're already starting to kick the tires on Minnesota, some of the presidential candidates. So uh, thank you both, Brian and Catherine, for being here. Honoring Minnesota's veterans when we come back. Serving in uniform like these folks did, that's just one way to serve. On this Veterans Day weekend, Governor-elect Walls took time to thank Minnesota veterans for their service and sacrifice. He spoke at a special program Friday morning at Richfield STEM School. Students also performed some patriotic music. Walls is a veteran himself, having served in the Army National Guard for 24 years. You can listen to episodes of At Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted at KSTP.com. And that is all the time we have for now. We'll see you back here again next week for another edition of At Issue.